I had it, you see, from Edward himself, though not all at once, and never, I am sure, all of it. I don't suppose anyone could tell it all, except perhaps Eudoxy, and she was, is, part of the problem. The origins predate my marriage and Edward's fame. I now regard that time as our first youth, but it seemed to us then, fresh from university and in London, the time of entry into full estate. Nothing was impossible, and nothing unimagined, except failure. In my case, you could say that I was merely wrong, but Edward's is more complicated. He had every success an ambitious man could wish. It was the cost that got him. Of course, when he purchased that particular ticket, he had no idea, which of us could have, of what compound interest can mean over a lifetime. I don't suppose it even felt like a transaction, more another gift from a kindly providence to add to his health, his looks, his charm, his winning disposition, his talent, his genius, it came to be called, but I at least am more cautious now. Everyone liked, even loved him, or perhaps I should say that no one disliked him and everyone felt drawn to him. I think I loved him, though what it was in him that I loved, I am only now beginning to grapple with. I also envied, and for a while hated him, but my knowledge of the price he paid makes it impossible for those feelings to last. And there is a coldness that slows my blood at the thought that he might still be paying it. He had a flat in a Victorian house in Kennington, down one of those dirty Lambeth streets that for decades were described as coming up, but which never quite seemed to arrive. I shared a flat with two other teachers in a modern block not far away. Edward was not a teacher, of course. From the start, he was to be a great writer. He never actually said as much, but the knowledge of it somehow spread around him like a personal aura, so that no one ever thought of him as anything else. Perhaps we assumed that you became a great writer simply by being intent on it and by keeping at it until your greatness became apparent. Perhaps even Edward assumed it. After all, the intellectual world is credulous enough to take many of us at our own evaluations, and people can become very successful just by believing in themselves and so persuading everyone else. I think Edward did believe in himself. He was lucky in that he had money from his father so that while working on his first novel he didn't have to get a regular job, but could do freelance reviewing, which was as useful for getting his name known as for what it earned. In those days there was nothing to distinguish him from the shoals of English graduates who feed off the scraps of London publishing and journalism. The more fortunate and determined grow into big enough fish to join the literati and become editors, columnists, presenters, and usually in a small way, writers. They think that being literary is a preliminary to writing good books until time finds them out. But after a while, it became evident that there was some difference between Edward and the others. He did not seem to seek precisely what they sought, or as they sought. He was not a great attender of literary parties, did little to cultivate influential people, and once turned down the chance to write a trial television script— an act of apparent self-neglect that scandalized his acquaintances. Without actually saying so, he gave the impression of an integrity that needed preserving, of having higher aims in view 
though I see now that it might simply have been higher strategy. He began to be spoken of as someone rather special, as if he were already an authority, though no one asked on what. Appearances helped, as nearly always. He was on the short side, well-proportioned, and with wavy blonde hair that marked him out from one end of a street to the other. He had the regular good looks of the sort of male model, who does summer casuals in open-top cars, usually by the sea or mountain locks. There was a suggestion of ruggedness about him, almost of something soldier-like, but it was kept from crudity by the hint of contrivance. He had the posed nonchalance of the war correspondent, rather than the matter-of-factness of the soldier. This self-consciousness added to his charm because you had the feeling that what was on offer was something he had made himself especially for you.